Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's pull list for new Marvel Comics on sale June 22nd, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Jasmine, before we get into this week's books, I did want to talk a little bit about Tim Sale. Yeah. Because last week we heard the news that Tim Sale passed away. He was a writer, artist, extraordinaire. I was trying to think about his total body of work for Marvel. It's mm-hmm. probably less than 40 stories. Really? Um, you know, and stories within issues, not even whole issues. So there's like one pages here or short stories here. So most people, I think, thinking of his Marvel work, obviously would go to Spider-Man Blue, Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray, Captain America White, um, the Wolverine Gambit series, mm-hmm. uh, all titles he did alongside Jeff Loeb. Um, and all are amazing. I know you love Spider-Man Blue. It's one of the books that like, I, I immediately recommend to people. I, I own like three copies of it. I've lent it out so much that people have kept it and I've had to buy other copies. And sure. so then like eventually like they'll give it back to me and I, I just have been stockpiling them. Yeah. And I get it's it. Book. It's great. The entirety of the, the color series that he did with Jeff would be would be tremendous. Um, there is a remembrance piece on Marvel.com, which I'm really glad on that piece. We do talk about his amazing work that he did for DC. I, you know, it's hard to not talk about Batman along Halloween and Dark Victory exactly. and Superman for all seasons. I'm not a huge Superman fan. And that is one of those stories that I love. I love. Oh, it's story. definitely up there. It's definitely up there with like just classic like comic book stories. But, you know, I think Tim's work is so it's got it. It looks unlike anyone else's. It's so cool and moody. It is um, dark when it needs to be bright when it needs to be. It's also like minimalistic in a way. It can Um, be. Yes. Yeah. Really exceptional use of negative space. Yes. Yes. Exactly that. Um, Like when we talk about the color series, that's the first thing I think of is the the use of negative space. Yeah. So while he doesn't have a huge number of Marvel projects, every one of them is incredible and should be searched out. There's a big list in that um, in that article on Marvel.com. We'll make sure to link to it. Yeah, I just um, I didn't want to move on in this episode without taking a moment to reflect on Tim Sale. Absolutely not. We, we need to. He's a legend in his own right. I wish his family the best. A lot of stuff to get to, so let's just roll on into it because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics. We're going to run you through every new Marvel comic out this week. Uh, We're going to give our picks for our favorites, our personal faves. We're going to give out awards to all the books. We're going to tell you who won the award for last week. We're going to get into what's on Marvel Unlimited, both the books hitting the service after three months on stands, and those new Infinity Comics, those scrolling Infinity Comics comics that are hitting the service this week lots of those we have collections on sale that you can pick up in your local comic shop and then we have a reading club who's our guest this week we are talking to charlie jane anders who is the former editor-in-chief and co-creator of io9 as well as a podcast host and author we're going to be talking to her about the incredible hulk ground zero by peter david and todd mcfarlane yeah, that's a fun conversation. A lot to get into, a lot of stuff mm-hmm. to talk about. So let's just roll on into our picks of the week. First up is, I think, a book we probably were both like, yes, this is one of our picks. Oh, I already tweeted about it. And mostly just to be like, Kieran, how dare you? And he I was mean, just like, I know. I know. It's yeah. one of my favorites, too. And I'm like, <sighs> yeah. So this is Immortal X-Men number three. We probably have picked Immortal X-Men probably previous issues, but you can't stop it. It's so dang good. It's written by the aforementioned Kieran Gillen, art by Lucas Warneck, colors by Dijo Lima, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And so Immortal X-Men, if you are not reading, it is basically about the Quiet Council, the ruling group of Krakoa. But in the this issue is mostly focused on destiny and mystique and how their lives intertwine, have uh, played out together, um, how they fit into Krakoa and the Quiet Council. Destiny, a fave of ours. I think a My fave girl. of everyone. Um, I mean, both she, of them, really. True, true. But we, I think... I feel so much stronger about destiny these days because we've been denied mm. ye- years. We've not had stories featuring destiny because she was dead for so long. And of course, mystique mystique is one of the greatest of all time. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, uh, and together, they're just, just such a powerhouse. But there's also big political movements going on in here as the Quiet Council is like fighting each other. You've got Sinister being sinister. You've got Hope coming in here, Mystique and Destiny on their own side. Professor Xavier being a friggin' jerk because mm-hmm. he's Professor Xavier. Also love the like the call out from Kitty. Yes, 100%. Uh, it is tremendous. So Kieran doing stellar work throughout all this. And then on the flip side, Lucas Warnock. I mean, Ugh. getting better and better every dang issue all the beautiful uh, like sweet moments with mystique and destiny all like the ferocious cool moments there's moments where like mystique is snarling and she's angry or uh, sinister is being you know like horrible and and catty uh there's a moment where destiny is coming down the stairs into where the quiet council is meeting and like her cape is flowing and there's just a regalness to her it is every page of this friggin rules we say nothing more about where this uh, ends. I know we are barreling mm-hmm. on to the Hellfire Gala, and it just feels like so many storylines are coming to a head that we don't even all realize yet. And I agree. It's very exciting. Next up, we have my first pick of the week, which is Marvel's Voices Pride issue number one. Uh, it's the Pride issue for 2022, and I can go through all these these creatives, but there's just way too many of them. But some of the highlights are Charlie Jane Anders, Ira Madison III, Danny Lore, um, as well as Lucas Wernick, who we were just talking about, um, Alyssa Wong, Stephen Byrne, uh, Rochelle Rosenberg, the list goes on and on. But there's so much love packed into these stories and so much. I think one of the things that stood out to me the most was Angelique Rocher, who is the host of Marvel's Voices, has been kind of leading this, these types of projects on. And I spoke to her uh, after I read this issue and it seemed like there was one section in this book, which is like essentially an essay that, that Angelique has written about all these characters who have been robbed of like their moment to come out, like they weren't allowed to come out because of the Comics Code Authority. And this issue is kind of using that as its like thesis. And we're going to give these characters the limelight that they deserve, the attention that they deserve. Like, let's tell these stories. And you can feel it in this issue from story to story, whether it's D-Man, whether it's Loki and Valkyrie, whether it's the Young Avengers, um, or more importantly, the one that got me, I I even texted Danny about it because I was crying at the end of it, was the love story between Taku and Venom, who are two supporting characters that date back to Don McGregor's 1970s run um, of Black Panther, titled Panther's Rage. If you listen to the, the Black Panther podcast, it's one of those things that Don McGregor really fought for. He really wanted to have it be a part of his stories, but at that time, it just he just couldn't make it happen but to finally see them embrace each other and like there's no subtext it is yes, all text. No it is, is beautiful it is them embracing and kissing and being a loving yeah family it is very clear that yes. these two men are in love and they mean the world to each other and this yes. is this is who they are this is everything I, that they need for each other and it is beautiful yes and i'm not kidding when i like say that i i literally it had me in tears seeing that because i know how much uh, it meant to Don McGregor and Billy Graham. And to see this finally come to fruition and be canonized is, uh, it's beautiful. Also, real quick too, there are all these like the official Marvel Universe handbook entries at the end of this that like finally gives some of these like well-known characters like my girl Vision fully fleshed out like entries into the, the handbook, which I, I love seeing, especially because a lot of those characters are queer characters. So seeing them finally have a fleshed out like handbook page is just cool to see. All right, our third pick, we decided to go with X-Men number 12 here, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Pepe Larraz, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And man, it's just this team cannot be stopped. They no. are doing some incredible stuff. I don't want I'm not going to spoil the big thing that was revealed in the previous issue. There was the revelation of the character of Dr. Stasis. Um, so if you are behind or you've not read it, we're not going to spoil that. But Suffice to say, that is a huge plot point for yes. this issue and yes. it, like really pushes things forward. It is the crux of a lot of what goes on in this issue. So getting around that, we do get some really great moments with Sync and Cyclops dealing with Dr. Stasis or really in some ways not dealing with Dr. Stasis, um, which are those are great. We get to see Wolverine, Rogue, Marvel Girl and Polaris in space dealing with 
one of the coolest villains that we have, <laughs> Cordyceps Jones, who is a is like a gangster that's made of spores that lives in space, and as mm-hmm. long as one of his spores is is like or out, he can reconstitute himself. Nasty, Gross. cool, weird, and he runs basically like a gambling ring where they bet on planets to destroy, and he's basically genocidal, horrible yeah. maniac. And the X-Men here, they're just like, no, we're shutting this down (laughs) and to see how they do it and why they do it and what it means. There's just it is so terrific, but it's also partially the little moments that Jerry and Pepe and the team sprinkle through these crazy Mm -hmm. big action scenes. There's one here where Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, she needs a power. She needs a little bit of boost. And so Rogue is there and she's like. She's like, all right, you got it. And the way that she does it, she just gives Jean a little peck on the cheek. Yeah. And this is really sweet. It's like so sweet. Friend, people who have been like close friends for many, many years. Just like, you know, she could have done it any any yeah. number of ways. But it's just an adorable little like, I love you, BFF. Let's do this. Take this on together. There's little things of Polaris who's just like. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. She continues to shine in this book. But the other thing I was going to mention is that this book really feels like a season finale of like a TV show. It also opens all of these new doors and like all of these new questions are like now floating where it's like, oh, whatever happens next is going to be huge. It's like, I'm ready for season two of Jerry Duggan and Pepe Larraz's X-Men. It's wild. X-Men continue to be weird and different and cool and very exciting. I love it. It's such an exciting time right now. Yeah. Also, we have... Friggin' axe coming up, Avengers X-Men oh. Eternals, which is going to throw everything into chaos, and I can't wait. All right. Uh, that's it for our picks of the week this week. But before we get into our fabulous fresh floppies that are coming to your local comic shop, Brian, we have a winner for last week's award. Mm-hmm. The award was the I'm Getting Real Tired of Infinity Stones and Cosmic Cubes Award, which came from Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number one, which we are recording this Wednesday of which that book came out. And a lot of you are reading Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, which is great because I we got it. more answers very quickly than we normally do, which is great. We, we love that. Uh, but the winner for this week was Roger Floyd at Iron Man 40. But we also, of course, want to give honorable mentions to Tommy Grooms at T Grooms Draws as well as a Karis Pollard, a Karis Pollard. And, of course, one another one of our faves, Mountain Meg at Mountain Meg. Also coming in a little bit later with some, uh, some folks who found it were Scott Newhouse, Michael Forster, um, and we got a great email from Mitch Krumputich. And, of course, Lex Pendragon, Tech Lord, coming in there. Always, I like that. Lex doesn't even really want to play the game, but listens as early as possible to put it out <laughs> on Twitter. Like, here is the quote. Everybody, this is what we're looking for. Like, now it's become like a community thing. Which It's great. I love it. And if you're interested in joining this community, may I recommend looking for this week's award name. Ryan, are you ready to hear what this week's award title is? Right on me. We'll be giving out the fine, but I'm taking my bacon award today. Really exciting. I love this quote. I love the story that it came from and the person who says it. So have fun. It's a great one. So uh, with that in mind, if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list. Or you can, of course, email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you are the first, give or take, keep your emails open, your DMs open, all that good stuff. We'll be giving out that award to the fabulous fresh floppies coming this week. Ryan, are you ready to get started on these books? I sure am. All right. First up is Amazing Spider-Man number four, which is a humdinger an issue. I had to point out a variant cover that comes from a couple of retailers. Um, so it's from unknowncomicbooks.com. And there's a couple others, comictraders.ca and then slhla.com. But it's a cover by Miguel Mercado, which is Mary Jane sewing up a cut on Peter Parker's back while he's sewing up his mm-hmm. s- his Spidey suit. It is one of my favorite covers. It's got like a Norman Rockwell vibe. It's also very minimalist, which is like very much my vibe. 
I love it. I love it so much. I will just say I'm going to give my fine, but I'm taking my bacon award to Tombstone in this issue. And leave it at that. Ooh, that's a good one. All right, next up we have Knights of X number three. And the thing I really love about this book is one of my favorite like comic booky things where it's like you open the book and within the first page you get one of the one of these characters will die and you don't know who it is but you have to read to find out like that's essentially what happens here when we get Saturnine pretty much trying to get Shogo to to watch what's about to unfold um, with the Knights of X team. This book is packed with so much action. I want to give my fine, but I'm taking my bacon award to Megan because we don't tend to see a lot of action from her, or at least we haven't yet. And she goes ham in this book. It was so thrilling to watch her just like let loose, but she's not the only one. Everybody really just unleashes hell in this issue. There's a lot going on. Uh, Maestro World War M number four is up next. I love this series so much. You got Namor, who is just completely bereft and, and grief stricken, just like in a in a horrible state. He calls in the giant monster Giganto to destroy humanity and fights Maestro. You got Abomination making some really interesting choices in here. But I'm going to give my fine, but I'm taking my bacon award to cranky old Doctor Doom. The way Peter David <laughs> writes this Doctor Doom is tremendous it's funny it is like idgaf to the max in a different way than normal dr doom is like idgaf it's great all right next up we have miles morales and moon girl number one and i need to give my fine but i'm taking my bacon award to the one and only moon girl aka lunella lafayette because this issue just shows and proves how she is one of the smartest people in the Marvel universe. And it's done in such a creative way. So I'm actually going to split my award and give the other half to the writer of this book, Mohale Mashigo, because she comes up with insanely crafty, but also like clever ways to show Lunella Lafayette's intelligence. But also that she is, like I said, one of the smartest people in the Marvel universe. And it's done in a very subtle and, and clever way and by the end of this book there's no doubts about it it's cool to see her really flexing in the marvel universe again it's been a minute yeah um all right up next is miles morales spider-man number 39 i'm giving my fine but i'm taking my bacon award to saladin ahmed because this whole arc has been one beautiful big what if that like feeds the appetite that i am voracious about like I just want all these great alternate reality stories from the cover where you see Selim's spider web tattoo under his eye, which is so mm. cool and gnarly. Mm -hmm. I love that to the the twists on various characters to the the way everything is sort of spun out in this storyline and the Peter Parker of it all. Yeah, I'm digging it. So good. Next up, we have Moon Knight number twelve, and I'm giving my fine, but I'm taking my Bacon Award to every single one of the Moon Knights in this issue. Yes, that's plural, Moon Knights. That's all I'm gonna say. You'll have to pick it up to find out what I mean by that. Um, all right, let's keep it rolling because up next is New Fantastic Four number one. Um, this is a, a, a big cool launch. This is one of those sort of storylines that's retro in a lot of ways. It's set in uh, like an older continuity. It is a direct sequel to issues 347 through 349 of Fantastic Four, which is an incredibly important story for me. I remember buying this at a little comic shop. I was out somewhere with my mom when I, you know, had to be like 12 or 13 or something. And it was, we didn't do collected editions very much, but this story was so popular, written by Walt Simonson, art by uh, Arthur Adams. It had Wolverine, Hulk, Spider-Man, Ghost Rider taking over for the Fantastic Four. It blew everybody's minds. It was hugely popular. And I got that uh, a random collected edition at a comic shop back when I was a kid. I read those issues so many times. Uh, and I think we've we've revisited these so often over the years. So this is super cool. Written, you know, we've got Peter David doing some really fun stuff, evoking those vibes. But I got to give my fine... I've got to give my fine, but I'm taking my bacon award to artist Alan Robinson. This is Alan Robinson's first Marvel work. 
super incredibly detailed and it is a very difficult thing to try to evoke the Arthur Adams style mm. and and do it but he does there's a there are a couple faces in here I was like yo that looks like an Arthur Adams face and really You're right. great I didn't way. notice that until you just mentioned it yeah there's a neat shot of Spider-Man up in the sky and it's so detailed and the what he does it's spider-man fighting vulture and it's like got this really cool perspective it is a great piece of work i'm really yeah. excited i'm excited to see a lot more from alan and to keep reading this series yeah and also i think the, like what you were saying too giving the context of this of this story and where it takes place at the end of this issue we also get a instead of a letters page since it's a number one a new number one we get a like short essay by uh, Martin Biro, who's the editor on this book. And similar to what you were saying, Ryan, like it's it's fascinating to see how this story, which is only three issues long, really resonated with a lot of people at that time. So mm -hmm. it's fun to have that context while going into this one. But next up, we have New Mutants number 26. And it's so damn good. And I could sit here and just gush about this issue. But I want to give my fine, but I'm taking my bacon award to Rod Reese for the design that he gives a future version of a character from this cast, because they are so dope looking. Everything from their weapons to the way that like they've aged to just like the way that they carry themselves is so unique and very detailed. And just like, you don't even give it a second thought. You're like, yeah, of course it's the same person, but it's, it's just so well done. And I think that that's something that's sometimes difficult to do because a lot of the times artists tend to make people look significantly different. And this has got some subtle changes that I really, really loved. Uh, all right. Another book that we almost could have picked. I mean, this is a this is a lot of big hitters this week. Punisher yes. War Journal Blitz number one, written by friend of the show, Torin Grunbeck, uh, which immediately put it up high on our list. But this is set um, sort of between the pages, between the issues of the current Punisher series that Jason Aaron is doing with artist Jesus Saiz and Paul Azaceta. These are just kind of side stories, but set into where Punisher is leading the hand and he's just like using their forces to wreak havoc. But this one, I'm going to give my fine, but I'm taking my bacon award. I'm going to give it to Torin because we love Torin on the show, but yeah, also, and I, I can't give it to the like character she creates so that it would get. Yeah horribly destroyed which is what i want to give it to like i want to give my award to seeing certain characters murdered and destroyed by the punisher because they deserve it in so many many ways damn right we have silver surfer rebirth number five which is the final issue in this mini series and i'm gonna give my award to uh i don't want to say it but without giving it away but the silver surfer for good use of surfboard that's all <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say well said all right, and final book of the week this week is Star Wars Crimson Rain number five. This is the final part of this limited series. Uh, this one, this is a great issue. I have, I think this is going to really benefit from reading it as one whole series because so much happens through, throughout each issue. You've got a bunch of threads being pulled. Kira and the Crimson Dawn are going one place, but there's a great scene in here with, uh, with the Emperor and Vader. And they get into some business. You got the Knights of Ren in here, some big weird statue stuff. But by the end, um, it's weird because we know where the Star Wars universe is at certain points in time. And this happens in between mm -hmm. those big tent poles. But I, I am actually like curious as to how everything is going to go down, which is great. And in that scene with Vader and the Emperor, I am going to give my fine but i'm taking my bacon award for a two panel sequence it's a very it's just a two panel sequence i guess it kind of goes you have to read all three panels where vader's like oh remember this thing i did and emperor's like mm-hmm and then there's this beautiful silent panel and it's so expertly done where it's just like you can feel the hate the resentment the anger the like just just there's so much without anything having to be said and one of them being a fully masked character it is it is wonderful all right those are all the books out this week uh in your comic shop or in your app but of course there are even more comics that are hitting marvel unlimited the issues that we released three months ago include carnage number one eternals the heretic number one which we really dig and reckoning war trial of the watcher number one go read that if you missed it already on marvel unlimited 
But there are more comics on Marvel Unlimited in the form of Infinity Comics, the scrolling vertical comics. We've got Marvel Meow, Love Unlimited, Marvel's Voices, Iceman, X-Men Unlimited, and even the Thor God of Thunder, the God Butcher Infinity comic, which uh, takes the classic storyline from uh, Thor that we recently talked about and brings it into the Infinity Comics format. So it's pretty cool. Also, I just got word from Robin Belt, who is one of the people who work on the Marvel Unlimited team. And my creator spotlight reading list is now up on the app, which has some of my favorite comics uh, from throughout the years, but also ties into the whole Marvel Voices Pride collection that's coming out as well this week, which is volume one of Marvel's Voices Pride, where I wrote a short essay about Vivision which will also be live on marvel.com at some point. I don't know exactly when, but it's available in that trade as well as Marvel Limited. And my reading list is on the app now. Very, very very cool. I can't wait for everybody to read Models, Inc. Uh, This is also a great time to hit into the rest of the collections that are on sale. There's a Silver Surfer Epic Collection, which is always cool. We love the Epic Collections. There's a volume four of Spider-Woman, which one of our favorite books of the last couple of years. This is the Devil's Reign Collection tying in uh, into that, but also wrapping up that series and plenty, plenty more. Those are great collections. Check them out at your local comic shop. But now it is time for our reading club. Once again, Jasmine, who are we talking to? What are we talking about? We are talking to author, podcast host, and co-founder of io9 and co-creator of Escapade, Charlie Jane Anders, about the Incredible Hulk Ground Zero storyline, which takes place between issues 340 and 346 during Peter David and Todd McFarlane's run. Some really fun comics, great conversation. Let's talk to Charlie Jane Anders right now. Ryan, are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay, we have, I don't want to say I'm just a fan. She is a personal hero of mine, not only in the journalism world, but also in the digital media space. I followed her since she was at io9. She's run a couple of other magazines. Like before that, she has a couple of podcasts. She has a podcast with her partner currently called Our Opinions Are Correct. She's written a bunch of different books, including one of my favorite sci-fi novels, All the Birds in the Sky. And she's currently writing a story in this year's Marvel's Voices Pride number one. Please welcome to the show, Charlie Jane Anders. Hi, it's so lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for that wonderful introduction. I feel just so like shiny now. You have no idea, Ryan, how pumped I am to finally be talking to Charlie Jane. Uh, as a trans woman in the digital media space, like this is, she is a hero idol. Oh my God, I, I'm so pumped to talk to you about not only Hulk, but a bunch of other stuff today. So really excited. Yeah, we're going to get into the Hulk of it all. Um, Charlie, Jane, before we, we start talking about your reading club selection, we'd love to know, you know, what's your, your history with comics in the sense of, did you grow up reading comics? Did you have a local comic shop? Did you get into comics in college or at another time? What was it for you? You know, I really got into comics in college when I was a kid. I read Tintin and Asterix and stuff like that. You know, I spent some time living in England when I was a little kid. So I got into some French and English comics. You know, I read like all of those weird weekly British comics that are just kind of like Beano and whatever. Uh, And I I read Doctor Who comics because I was a complete Doctor Who maniac as a kid. But it wasn't until I was in college that I sort of actually started to read superhero comics and like American comics in like a serious way. And like, I got really hooked in my early twenties. I like, and that was a time I'm dating myself. That was a time when every comic book store just had like a giant, like quarter bin or like sometimes dime bin with just like all the comics that they hadn't been able to get rid of some other way. And so I would just go in and like, just gave myself a crash course in superhero comics in my early twenties. And there were just all these comics going back to the eighties that you could get for like a quarter or, or sometimes even less I just like would have piles and piles of comics around all the time and just read like whole runs from like the 80s and 90s. Um, And I one of the comics that I really started to love was Hulk. I think Peter David was still writing the Hulk at the time. He was like towards the tail end of his like incredibly long and uh, incredibly like complicated run. And I was like, holy 
crap, I got to learn more about this. So I went back and, and just read all of those comics. And eventually that actually got to be an expensive habit rather than a cheap habit. <laughs> You're telling me. Earlier, yeah. There weren't even trades yet at the time. Wow. Apart from like, actually Ground Zero was the only trade there was. But yep. uh, now that I think about it. But if you wanted to read the entire Peter David run, you had to put down some serious coin because he'd worked with some very famous artists. So you were talking about how you, you started getting into American superhero comics. What drew you into the Hulk, like out of all of the different superheroes? You know, I think it was actually Peter David's writing. Like he had a really good handle on the Hulk uh, and he kept finding new things to do with the character. And, you know, I mean, I feel like as a, at the time, closeted kind of semi-in-denial trans person, I probably resonated with this idea of, you know, I mean, this is true of a lot of superheroes because there's always a duality between, you know, their civilian self and their superhero self. There's always this mm -hmm. thing of like, I'm going to have a secret part, part of myself that I keep hidden. But usually it's like the secret part of myself that I keep hidden is awesome. And like everybody loves my superhero identity, but they don't love my civilian right. identity. That's like Peter Parker. That's like Clark Kent. That's like a lot of classic superheroes. I've read bits and pieces of the of the run of Peter David's run, never in in sequential order. It feels like one of those. It's a daunting task. So yeah. for any of our listeners, um, we're talking about you know Peter David and the run on this series. His first issue is three twenty eight, which comes out in November of eighty six. Then he he's off for like two months, comes back for three thirty one, and I think is unbroken in his run as writer until 467. Um, so that is a monumental run as a writer. That is an incredible run of, of 13 odd years, give or take. And it's, it's something special. And I was thinking about it, you know, we're talking about this issue 340 through 346 is what is in the collected edition known as Ground Zero, the one that um, I think I had the, uh, an early copy like you, Charlie Jane. I, I had one years ago, um, but I read it on Marvel Unlimited. And it's, you know, only a within the first year of Peter David's run on the title. But thinking about it a different step, it's two-ish years into Peter David's run as a mainstream superhero writer. Um, mm -hmm. for comics. Wow. And that to me is, is even more remarkable because he's pulling so many plot threads and doing so much stuff at such a, you know, early point in his career and, and getting the reins to not just incredible Hulk at this point, he's been writing a ton of Spider-Man at the same time and still writing Spider-Man and doing Star Trek comics and doing all kinds of things all at once. Um, Peter David is pretty cool. All right. I want to propose bundling the first two issues together because when I first started reading this, this art, uh, issue 340 and 341, because they each feel like their own individual, just like standalone stories. And they are like most comic books. But the thing that I found odd was that like, I didn't see where the threads were getting placed until the following issue where I was like, oh, I see where we're going with this. Or I see that the larger narrative. Yeah. I mean, I think that those two issues, I'm just going to jump right in. I feel Go like ahead. that they're... There's two things about them. One is that they're kind of, I, we're at the start of this new status quo that is just super fun where like Bruce Banner is driving around in like a super van with Rick Jones and uh, Clay Quartermain, who's on the run from S.H.I.E.L.D. now uh, for reasons. And, um, <laughs> but the other reason I think is, I don't know. I mean, it's just, we're still, we're still so new in the like Grey Hulk era, which it's not the first time the Hulk has been intelligent. It's not the first time the Hulk has been able to to speak in complete sentences. Like Bill Mantlow had some times where the Hulk was very articulate, actually. So what you have in both of those storylines with Wolverine and with Manball is the Hulk going up against other people who have like their own inner beast, mm -hmm. who have their own inner kind of monster and that's a kind of a feature of like a lot of these early Peter David issues. There's also one where he fights, actually, I think he fights actual Mr. Hyde at one point, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He mm -hmm. fights that guy randomly. Like he fights a bunch of people who are kind of foils. And so these are two foils who are two people who both have like a really tortured relationship with their own inner animal slash inner kind of, you know, berserker. And the Hulk is just like, well, screw you. Being a big, scary, destructive creature is awesome. And I screw you for trying to 
deny it, kind of. Yeah. Like, he even tries to, like, egg on Wolverine into a fight. Like, he's like, no, fight me. And Wolverine's like, no, no, I got, like, bigger things to do. I got other things I got to take care of. You know, got mutants to protect. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about this one, Jasmine, from a, a perspective of someone who's not read it, who doesn't think about it from the way that I think about it. Because mm-hmm. when I look at the, the cover of 340, it is one of the most iconic covers oh, I know. Marvel's ever had. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love it. Right? I recognize it's, the cover absolutely, like almost immediately. Yeah, it's also a very different lineup of the X-Men that I'm used to. So that was interesting. One thing about like this whole thing of Wolverine being like, I don't want to get into fights. I don't want to like fight you just to fight you i'm trying to be more mature i'm like trying to like you know avoid pointless violence or whatever i just want to point out that this i guess this was a thing with wolverine at the time i'm gonna just assume and uh you know this was right around the time i think that an incredible movie came out i'm not being sarcastic at all a truly incredible movie barry gordy's the last dragon yeah uh, which is a uh it's a it's a kung fu movie uh and basically the main character has this thing where he is he's an incredible martial artist but he won't fight and the whole movie is the bad guy trying to get him to fight him and he's just like no and he'll he'll he famously kisses the bad guy's sneaker his converse rather than fight him because he's just like i'm not going to fight you you know I feel like they were something in the air and it was interesting because that was obviously also the time of Rambo and the time of like, yay, fighting is awesome. But yeah. And Rocky and like a bunch of other Sylvester Stallone characters. Yeah. Cause that movie came out in 85. Um, I just double checked. And like, so like I can totally see that being in the zeitgeist while this is being written. Yeah. Um, and also he was like, he just became the leader or like the temporary leader. Cause we, they just lost storm uh, or storm right. just lost her powers. And she was the, the, team leader at that time so he's like oh now i'm responsible like this is new to me and yeah he's trying to avoid conflict that's unnecessary and this is at the time concurrently in uncanny x-men is fall of the mutants Mm -hmm. so they're going through a huge change of like they're seemingly sacrificing themselves going through the siege perilous going to dallas saving like saving the world but pretending to be dead and so he's he's like in a weird place yeah, now I'm like, I mean, this was one of those issues where, I mean, like, I love, I've always loved Marvel for being the ones who were like, oh, do you want to learn more about this? Like, go read this. And this was definitely one of those books where when they started, like, citing X-Men titles, I was like, I need to go read this. Mm-hmm. Um, as we get into the next issue, uh, we see Man Bull. Uh, and this one was also, like, similar thing where, like, they get into a huge fight, but the Hulk kind of recognizes himself in Man Bull and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Manbull wants the Hulk to kill him, essentially, which mm-hmm. I thought was was very like for that time. I was just like, "Whoa!" Did not expect that to be what was going to happen in this issue. Let alone where Peter David was going to go with it. But it got dark really fast um, mm-hmm. because he, like the Hulk, doesn't want this power anymore. He wants to get rid of it, going as far as even dying. Did either of you pop for the name of Clay Quartermain's brother? I like laughed. I know. That was hilarious. Yeah. That's Peter David in a nutshell. He'll just go for the the silliest, most ridiculous joke. Alan Quartermain. Which is, uh, why not though? Like, of course he's like, he's like, all right, these are the characters I have to play with. And he's like, well, I need a character. I can see like the wheels turning in Peter David's head of like, sure, this will make me laugh. Maybe it'll make other people laugh. And it did. It worked on us. I didn't even like catch that until just now. Like I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And like the the kind of joke that like I guess Clay Quartermain is the one who goes off and has adventures and is like, and Alan Quartermain just stays home and watches the farm. I guess. <laughs> yep. I don't know. <laughs> it was great. So by the end of this issue, it's where we start to realize, or no, I think it, we got little bits of it in in the previous issue too about the leader and like this bigger, larger scheme happening. And that's where I think at the end of this issue where it started to get me, where I'm like, oh, I see who the big bad is. And I was very fascinated by the way Peter David started to like plant those seeds in these two issues where like I could totally imagine myself, you know, if I was picking this thing up monthly, I'd be so excited to see the leader again, because at this point in time, I think he's uh, everyone thinks that he's dead. Um, and so like you would want to, you know, like I'd be like, I need to know what's going on where how did he come back or, you know, what's what's he planning? I actually skimmed the previous issues and I think what had happened is the leader had 
turned into he'd he'd lost his gamma powers or something. Mm. He turned back into a regular dude. But then after this is complicated, so I apologize in advance. After Rick Jones became a second Hulk mm-hmm. through shenanigans, they tried to cure Rick Jones of also being the Hulk. And even though they can never cure Bruce Banner of being the Hulk, they could cure Bruce Rick Jones of being the Hulk <laughs> for reasons. And somehow all of Rick Jones's like gamma radiation yes. stuff got siphoned into the leader. And that's why the that. leader looks different now. His head is all kind of swollen and and he's kind of like, whoa, I took too much. You know, there's like a whole <laughs> sequence where he's like, no, no, this is too much. Oh, well, I guess this is what I am like. What's what I'm like now. Okay. I've got a giant must- handlebar mustache. It's fine. It's great. Uh, but also like a giant bulbous head. Um, real quick, uh, for any of our listeners who don't know who the leader is, it's one of the Hulk's, you know, arch foes, Samuel Stearns, um, you know, big brain, big evil machinations dies and comes back about as often as Hulk. I was going to say, the Incredible Hulk? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this storyline, the kind of Grad Zero, it suffers a tiny bit from the need to have every issue have, like, a bad guy of the week, kind of, or a bad guy of the month. The the beginning of it, It feels like, at least the first half. Yeah, the first half is, like, we can't just relax into having a a storyline that goes for six issues because it's the 80s. We have to have, there has to be another bad guy that we fight and defeat in every single issue. And, you know, and even later we get like, you know, there's like Rock and Redeemer who are basically like I'm so excited to talk about them because they come up in the next issue. And I want to just, right when I say that I died of laughter when I opened up the next issue. Oh my God, they're so weird and silly. Like, what the hell? Yeah. And these are characters who have been built up. Bef- they've been, they've actually been built up since before the Peter David run. They've been really? kind of around. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like, it's just like, I feel like they've been, they, they were part of the Hulkbusters back in like the Al Milgram run. And they've been, they've been just hanging around kind of having a beef with the Hulk. And this is how they go out. Um, yeah. And they get captured by leader along with Betty at the end of this issue. Right. And then the following issue opens with what the leader has done to transform these these two uh former Hulkbusters and right. The, one of them is named the Redeemer and he gets this like crazy metallic like exoskeleton suit like mm-hmm. he looks like he can like mess some stuff up. And then the Rock is literally just a floating rock. And he is just completely encased in just like, like when I say that it's With a floating dude's rock, head sticking out of it. Yeah, I died. I was just like, I feel so bad for the rock. Like, could you imagine waking up, seeing your former partner and you're just like, whoa, that's awesome. What do I look like? And you're just a rock. <laughs> but it did pay off later on in, in the other issues. But I was dying when I saw that. I was like, poor rock. No, poor you, rock. You got a good point there. You got a good point. And like, I mean, he does have like, he's got rock arms or whatever he got he's got like he can kind of shapeshift i guess yeah i think 90s peter david probably would have just given him a partner named paper and a partner named scissors and would have been like it's <laughs> rock paper and scissors the greatest threat yet like, like saxon violence david liked his yes exactly god peter david loved like weird dad jokes turned into giant ongoing stories i misspoke this was at the end of four of 343 not the beginning uh okay. I forgot that marvel unlimited just opens up to the last page that i read not the beginning of the book right but yeah i totally for yeah that it is very very weird and in 343 we do get the backstory for some of these characters too so we do get to learn about the hulkbusters sorry go I, ahead, I, I just want to jump back to 342 really quickly because 342 has the double page spread and you were talking about this jasmine that that when that horrific vision of hulk getting his power siphoned and he's emaciated Mm. and he's he's it's it's a really cool horror moment and you've got uh half-life there and he's all powered up but that is one of i think only two double page spreads in this entire seven issue arc that we read six or seven issue arc that we read which is one effective Mm -hmm. because they are few and far between Two, uh, a very clear like proof of the the difference between storytelling and comics today versus right. in 1987, 1988, where nowadays you'll have double page spread after double page spread in some books, and that's great. It's big, cool action, cinematic storytelling. But here, you know, it's it's used much. You know, it's a very sparse storytelling tool to 
invoke very specific emotions and effects. It's done very ex- exceptionally well. I was blown away when I saw yeah, that. It's so good. But in 342, it's also so terrific because it got us talking about that whole sequence. And part of it is because it's done in this double page spread and you get to it and you're like, whoa. Yeah. It's really effective storytelling. We're moving into 344, which was also a big deal issue. This is my favorite issue out of the whole arc. This is the issue that we've been talking about, Charlie Jane, about Betty and having that moment with the Hulk. And I know we spent a lot of time already talking about it, but what a badass. Like, Betty's such a badass. She's like, I know I'll talk to the Hulk myself. Don't worry about it. Like, I'll take him on. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that really is the moment where Betty kind of comes into her own as a character. After, you know, yeah, having been just kind of having spent 20 something years just kind of being the love interest and being kind of, you know, this. And it's weird that this is all tied up with the question of Betty being pregnant, which I think is a storyline that doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, I read all of David's Hulk run back in the day, and I think that he was constantly trying to get Betty pregnant. Like, this is not the only time that Betty gets pregnant in his run. And I feel like it's interesting that like right after we see Betty be completely like she's she's captured, she doesn't even get to like have a a confrontation with the leader. Like we don't get right. to see her be like, screw you leader, I'm going to get out of here. Like she's just, she's unconscious. She's in this weird, it's like she's wearing like a, a bikini machine kind of. The next time we see her, she's stumbling out of the woods, like with her clothes torn to shreds so that she's still kind of half naked. And she's kind of messed up and we realize that the leader let her go to like mess with Bruce and friends and to kind of slow them down until he's ready for them. Right. Because he also found out that she's pregnant while and right. la- at the end, end of the last issue when he realizes he's his like machines are reading four heartbeats instead of three. Right. And he's just like, wait a minute. Ooh. She's basically a pawn. She's a huge pawn. And then... David suddenly flips it on its head and she's actually getting to be, you know, a person with agency and control over her life and thoughts. And it's it's actually more refreshing and more kind yeah. of amazing because of how objectified, literally objectified. Uh, but now she's that suddenly turned on its head and she suddenly has all this agency and all this like ability to affect her own life. And it's it's really refreshing, but it is you do kind of have to acknowledge that, that what it's coming on the heels of, I guess. Right. There's so much in this issue to talk about. Obviously, you know, Rocket Redeemer is great. Got to talk a little bit about Bruce's glasses, those big, giant, round glasses. and that Also big his hair. hair. Oh, my God. I yeah. love it. I love it so much. Um, but there's also a page. So where when Betty and Bruce are alone and, and having their time together and talking and stuff, Clay and Rick go off to the movies because, you know, yeah. why not? They're They're just like hanging out. They go see yeah, that's right. Robocop. Then he makes which, a ROM joke. They make so they go see Robocop. They make yes. a ROM joke. And for whatever reason, Todd McFarlane draws a poster for the movie Chopping Mall, which yes. is unlike any poster I've ever seen for Chopping Mall. And I love the movie Chopping Mall. Full I did wonderful. not even know that was a real movie. It sounded yes. something like it sounded like something he just made up and no, now I'm should... even more intrigued. Yeah, it, it's a canon film. Oh my it's God, so good. Right. It was great. I lost it at just the ROM joke. Like I was just like, oh my God, that's just too good. It's too perfect. It's that's amazing. The last couple of pages that between the Incredible Hulk and Betty are just phenomenal. Like a lot of it is taking place at night. A lot of the art is in shadow. Um, and the way that like Todd just plays with shadow and like negative space is so cool. It's incredibly gorgeous. Another thing about that whole conversation between the Hulk, between actually between Bruce and Betty before he turns into the Hulk, we're really kind of, I mean, Bill Mantlo played with this a lot in his run on the Hulk. And Peter David kind of picked up all of the, the breadcrumbs that Bill Mantlo had put down. But this idea that like the Hulk is every, like I said this before, the Hulk is everything that Bruce Banner represses. Betty directly kind of speaks to that. And is like, the reason why you can't be like emotional and passionate with me, there's a lot of like weird gendered stuff in there about like, you know, men are incapable of expressing their emotions, but also he's like this repressed nerd. He comes from this abusive family. Like this is all stuff that Bill Mantlo kind of 
seeded in the idea that Hulk comes from that Bruce Banner comes from this abusive family and that's why he can't express himself. He's your classic stereotypical super repressed nerd who's just like emotionally closed off. And then the Hulk is like all the parts of him that you can't let out. And Betty is like, I think that the love, the passion for me that you can't express as Bruce is trapped in the Hulk. And that's why I need to talk to the Hulk in part. And this is kind of setting up a very long game that like eventually pays off in like the three 60s, I think. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's like like at least 20 issues later. Maybe it's the 370s where finally, finally, the Gray Hulk and the Green Hulk are kind of fighting for control over the Hulk. And basically, Doc Samson succeeds in giving the Hulk therapy. And like the the two different versions of the Hulk and Bruce Banner kind of work out their differences and they finally integrate into one person who's finally capable of being a good husband to Betty and finally capable of being like a uh, an emotionally, moderately emotionally healthy person. And that lasts like 50 issues, I want to say. It doesn't last forever, but it lasts It lasts a long time. Also, before we move on and go to the next issue and the conclusion, one of the things that like this book or this issue tackled with was something that I personally struggled with, which was that like, if the Hulk is a coin, right? You have the Hulk and Bruce Banner, like it's either one or the other. But in this issue, we start to see how like all of it is you, which is such a cliche thing to say, but it took me so long to just like accept that about myself personally, where it's like, I always thought it had to be one or the other like I can't be both but then when like I slowly started just like internalizing a lot of that and like going through therapy and stuff like that I quickly realized like oh no like I don't have to lose you know this other thing about me like they both make up the whole like I wish I would have seen this book sooner just because just seeing the Hulk tackle that and just kind of like wrestle with that idea in his own head like I think at one point Betty because you were talking about it uh Charlie Jane where you said that like all the the repressed emotions are on the Hulk, right? Like the Hulk is the one who 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 holds those in, including the love that he has for Betty. We really see it when Betty, like at one point, turns around and looks at the Hulk and is like, "Oh, what are you jealous? Like it sounds like you're jealous of Bruce, but you both are the same person. Like you, all of it is you." And I'm like, that was something right there where I was like, "Yeah, I've been there. Like I've totally been there." So it was really cool to see that in this issue. I love this issue. Yeah, it's it's genuinely great. It starts off really weird and then it's actually great. Also, we forgot to mention that, that this is the issue where she does reveal that she's pregnant. Yeah. Right? Or is right. it the next one? Right. Maybe she tells the Hulk. She tells yeah, the she Hulk. Tells, she, she tells, tells the Bruce, Hulk. But she, and again, I can't remember what happens with the pregnancy. I know that she never actually has a baby in the comics. Yeah, I, I actually want to put a call out to any of our listeners who may know this because I was trying to do some research about this pregnancy. And there's... There's nothing out there. I, I'm just I mean, like, what happened here? This is not Betty's only pregnancy, I'm telling you. Two last things I want to point out on my side for 344. One is Joe Rosen is the letterer. And the the moment, the, the conversation really comes to a head when Betty says, I'm pregnant. And he, he goes into all lowercase, whereas everything else is uppercase. Mm-hmm. And so it's a simple little thing, but it, it you know, she like, you can tell that, she says it in a quieter tone, like it's a little thing, but it's very effective in the way it conveys the emotion and that feeling that is coming from that. And then the other piece is that most of this issue is two characters talking, but it never feels boring or like like it's standing still. Like there's simple things, of course, when you have the Hulk there, it changes things. But when Hulk and Betty are there, there's wind sweeping through. They're in these different places. There's You can feel the movement that goes on when you have them walking around a park when it's Bruce and Betty. There's elements around them. There, it, it feels like a very lived-in, realistic place wherever they are. And it's one of those things where I, I was listening to a conversation about video games and how... Um, a lot of conversations in video games, it's just like when you get to a point of a conversation, it's two people and they're just standing there talking. That's not realistic. You know, people move around a lot. And you think about what you see in, in a film or a TV show, like people are constantly moving. And that is something that mm-hmm. you have, you know, a lot of storytellers in comics have to think about is like, yeah, if you have two pages of people, just two people having a conversation, there's a lot to get there. How do you do that in a way that is effective and and keeps the momentum and the motion going. And I think this issue is a really great one to show you how you can do that. So the the next issue also, again, when I when I was reading this, I kept on like double checking to make sure I was reading the right thing. Because when you get to this next issue on the cover, like it tells you it's a double-sized finale. So I was like, okay, cool. Right. We have 38 pages. Like, 
why is it ending an issue early? I was like, maybe, I don't know, like maybe I, I, I wasn't sure. But now I know exactly why, because of the ending that it has. But this issue is where like everything goes down, right? Like we're in the town of Middletown and the leader is pretty much like just checking the boxes off of his master plan, which is actually just mm-hmm. like a little like device that has all the different like the things that he was going to do, <laughs> including lie to Rock and uh, <laughs> Redeemer, which I thought was so funny. He was just like, yep, uh, hack the radios. Yep. Make sure that there's no newspapers. Cool. We're good. Like blockade off of all of the any types of communication, but also make sure to lie to Rock and Redeemer. Let them know that we're going to make sure that they revert back to their former selves. In this issue, we start to like, we, we see that this is like all coming to a close. And one of the things I thought was fascinating was it's obviously like it wasn't in the zeitgeist necessarily at that time, but also like how ahead of it, like, it's time this type of like story was just because the leader not only man- makes sure that communications are cut off from the rest of the world, but he manipulates the, the citizens mm-hmm. in this issue by like, airing a fake broadcast with fake news right and really convincing like all of these people that like they're like at one point even uh rick and uh clay both jump in their rv bus thing and start shouting like on a megaphone like hey evacuate the city like there's a bunch of gamma bombs but then like on the news it's like no that stuff's all fake like these people are just trying to incite a riot like and i was just like this is too real right now but also the thing I liked about this book was not only do we follow like our the main characters of the book, but we follow four different citizens of this neighborhood. Um, and they each are like different parts of the community. Like one person's selling encyclopedias. Um, another is a... There's like an embezzling priest. Yeah, there's a priest. There's a couple who are running into marital troubles. Yes. And like, so you follow them and they have like very small stories, but like one of those things where everyday life can be fascinating where you want to know what, what's going to mm-hmm. happen. And that thing being the final showdown between one, the Hulk and leader uh, alongside rock and redeemer. But ultimately what we were kind of hinting at before with this final double page spread, which is the gamma bombs going off mm-hmm. two hours earlier than the leader had mentioned, which was very specific, but I absolutely love that because he's a villain. He, mm-hmm. of course, let you know he should be maniacal and like you shouldn't be able to trust his word. And when he does something horrible and nefarious, yeah, that's what he does. Um, I think it's it's a very effective. Uh, I just love here. that the bombs have like a little timer, and it's just like I've given you two and a half hours to essentially evacuate the city, and I'm just like, oh, okay. And it does it goes off in less than thirty minutes, just like. Damn. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. And, you know, I feel like at this point, probably, like, I'd have to look back, but I, I would guess that at this point, the leader's becoming a little bit of a joke. Like, most supervillains, at a certain point, you can only be kind of ignominiously defeated, like, so many times before people stop taking you seriously as, right. a, as a baddie, kind of. And, you know, it's it's a little campy and cartoony especially him crossing things off his giant checklist like he's that smart he probably doesn't need to write all this stuff down right he probably could just have it in his head his head is big enough to hold like a checklist (laughs) of like eight items but even the mustache twirling like he wants to have like the thing where he confronts the good guy one more time and is like finally i have blah 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 but he's smart enough to like not actually be physically present he's smart enough to just pre-record his his villain monologue he pre-records it and then he's like far away off somewhere less safe like so he gets to have his villain monologue without actually putting himself in any danger whatsoever the book ends with a double page spread where the gamma bombs go off but luckily shield has come in in time and put a sheet like a bubble over the the town the bomb goes off uh my jaw drops because i did not expect that to happen immediately i'm like okay, maybe, I don't know, the Hulk is going to absorb the blast or something. I don't know. Then we go into the following issue. And like I said before, no, like the Hulk lost. Like, Charlie Jane, you said it, Mm -hmm. like the leader won. And that entire town is decimated, including the Hulk, who we only see a like dust shadow. Town is decimated. And the entire story pretty much takes place uh, in a courtroom. And we are now dealing with the repercussions. 
it's a Senate hearing where they're they're trying to figure out what to make of this whole thing, who's responsible for it. And ultimately, it's Clay who manages to like rally and turn this thing into a rally of support mm-hmm. um, where he's like pretty much like making a campaign uh, around the like a presidential bid with the campaign around the idea of like, we can't trust the government. Clearly, they hid all these gamma bombs in the, the basement of, you know, this this neighborhood and we need to stand up and like do something about it. And then we immediately see like right. people selling like vote for Clay or Clay's okay uh, slogans. And, and then we see Nick Fury dragging him by the ear, which oh, is just so, so like... funny. I'm so glad that you brought this story to us, Charlie Jane. This was such oh, yeah. a fun read. No, my pleasure. And I wanted to quickly talk about Escapade and uh, her appearance in Marvel's Voices Pride Number One. Um, that's actually coming out this week. It's out tomorrow. Yay! Um, so can you tell us a little bit about Escapade and how that came to be? Yeah, so I'd been talking to some folks at Marvel, um, particularly editor Sarah Brunstad, for a very long time about uh, creating a new character. And specifically, we talked about a bunch of different ideas, but one thing that we kept coming back to was the idea of me creating a trans superhero, which was something that we all felt was like really necessary and really awesome, especially at a time when... You know, trans people's existence is kind of, I'm putting all the air quotes around under debate. Like we are, our, whether we should be allowed to exist is is debated intensely at the moment. And it's it's actually kind of a scary time to be a trans person in America. I'm not going to lie. And uh, the idea of having a, a new character who is unapologetically trans, who has trans friends, who is part of a trans community, who is also a superhero, who is awesome and does great things. Uh, was something that really appealed to me. And, you know, um, and it made sense to kind of launch her in the Pride issue. And then hopefully, like, you know, not hopefully, definitely, she's going to appear in three issues of New Mutants this fall. And then hopefully after that, we'll see a lot more of her in various places. So basically, yeah, Sheila Sexton, she's like a very young, she's like, I want to say 19, 20, young trans person who is a mutant. And her best friend, her BFF, Morgan, is also a trans mutant, and she belongs to, like, a community of trans mutants hanging out in New York. Led by D-Man? Yeah, and the D-Man thing was, like, I don't know if you've read the issue yet, but the D-Man thing comes yes. out of an, uh, a comic that... So Grace Freud, who is a writer for Rick and Morty, also wrote a comic in this same issue with a trans mutant support group, and I wanted to have, like, a scene of of Sheila and Morgan, these two trans mutants kind of hanging out with other trans mutants. And so Sarah suggested really, I thought brilliantly that uh, we should reuse the kind of support group that Grace had come up with. So there's a scene where we actually see her with that same support group that Grace introduced, which is really fun. So she has this incredible mutant power, which I can talk about in a second, but she also one thing I was really keen on is that she doesn't just rely on her mutant power. She has a bunch of really cool gadgets that she carries around. She has anti-gravity dice or actually gravity dice because they can go from anywhere to like low gravity to high gravity, depending on what you roll. She has like uh, rainbow glitter. She has a bunch of really cool gadgets that she carries around with her. And she and Morgan just kind of going around doing crimes. Uh, they, they, they steal from like mostly really bad people. And they've amassed a bunch of like really cool gear. And one of the things that they've gotten in their crime spree is a flying turtle named Hibbert, who's now their best friend. It's like their kind of constant companion. I worked very closely with the incredible team of uh, Ted Brandt and Rose Stein on creating Escapade, like the design of the character, but also just like the this basic storytelling, like page by page. We were, it was super collaborative. And like also Tamara, I'm going to mangle the pronunciation of her last name, but Tamara Bonvian. Uh, she was the colorist. She did an incredible job. Everybody did an amazing job with this issue. This is awesome. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you Yay. for this story. I mean, it was something that I've dreamed of. Like, Aww. I mean, I, I wish I would have had this as a kid. It really hit close to home and uh, I appreciated it a lot. So I just wanted to say thank you. Yay. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, thanks for having me on the podcast. This was such a thrill. This was such a lovely conversation. So great hanging out with you both. Uh, You know, read more Hulk comics. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. Thanks, Charlie Jane. Okay, cool. Yeah, thank you so much, Charlie Jane. Bye.
Big thank you once again to Charlie Jane Anders for coming on the show. Uh, I've got to read more of her books. I've read All the Birds in the Sky, and it was great. I've got to read more of, of her stuff. She's terrific. All right, let's get this show closed down because this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. And um, Brad has actually gone on record saying he, uh, when he was in college, he was called the bacon taker mm-hmm. and uh, he would just steal people's bacon. Mm-hmm. He he made it a whole thing. Like he he has a jacket. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like a bomber jacket, like one of those like bowling jackets. And yeah. instead of his name, it says Bacon Taker. Yeah, Bacon it's, Taker. It's really cute. But Brad, touch my bacon. I'm going down, brother. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Bacon, bacon Taker. taker. <laughs>